Welcome to The Christian Optimist, where we tackle real-world issues, questions you have every day, head-on, from an eschatologically optimistic, biblical worldview. From apologetics and worldview, doctrine, devotion, politics, news, you're going to find it all right here. I'm your host, Pastor Rafe Chennery. I am, as always, pumped to be here and to be talking about God, His Word, trying to understand the world we're living in. And today we got a really interesting conversation. I want to jump into what is commonly referred to as uh, the moral dilemma. And I want to do this today uh, by looking and by listening to a YouTube video that shows Richard Dawkins being asked a question at kind of an atheist's forum. Now, before I even go any further, I got to do a little setup for you so you know what we're talking about today. First of all, when I say the, the, uh, the moral dilemma, what I'm talking about is how we as humans come to a sense of morality. Throughout history, there have been tons of different approaches to determining how we determine what is true. Philosophers have wrestled with this for years and come up with entire schools of thought of how we determine what is true and what is right and what is wrong. And Christians have a very, not I don't want to say unique, they have a fundamentally stable and true and right way of making those determinations. We go right to the word of God. It's our worldview. We go to God's word. He reveals to us what is true, what is right and wrong, and that's how we know what morality is. Now, this is very important to realize. There's an old dilemma. It's called the Euthyphrus Dilemma, and Plato wrote about this. And in Plato's dialogues, he writes about Socrates asking Euthyphro this question. The question is, is what is morally good commanded by God because it's morally good, or is it morally good because it's commanded by God? Now, you see the two different things here? The question that Euthyphro is being asked is, does God submit to a higher power, which is this invisible blanket of morality? And and God is simply pointing to morality, which is outside of God, and saying, that's what's morally true. Or is what is morally true, morally true, because it emanates from God himself? Now, those are two different approaches. And the Christian worldview determines that morality is not apart from God. What is moral and what is right and what is wrong and what is true is moral and right and wrong and true because it emanates from God himself. It's part of his character. What is right is right because God, in God's character, has determined what is right. It reflects godliness when you do what is morally right in God's eyes. He is the fundamental arbiter of all that is right and wrong. He's the judge. He does not point upwards to morality up in the ethos, in the outer space somewhere. He is the determiner of all that's right and wrong. Now, this creates a challenge for atheists. Richard Dawkins is what we would call a militant atheist, and I've brought him up a number of times on this show. And I like interacting with him because uh, Richard Dawkins is bold in his assertions of atheism. And what I like to show is that Richard Dawkins, in his boldness, is revealing the hypocrisy of his own worldview. He, He cannot, as an atheist, bring himself to agree that there is a God, yet he demands that we listen to him and demands that we have certain ways that we determine what is right and wrong. And he's militant about it. He is part of a new class of atheists uh, who, that have risen up, really following his lead, to be honest. He's kind of the lead guy on this. That are very, very hostile towards all forms of religion, believing that all religion is not only fairy tales, but is bad for humanity, and that what is needed is a new atheistic order. And he is loud about this. He is cutting about this. He writes on this. And so he's an interesting guy to, to dialogue with. Now, 
Here was a question that was asked to Richard Dawkins. Let me read to you the question because it's wonderfully worded. The question is this. Considering that atheism cannot possibly have any sense of absolute morality, would it not then be an irrational leap of faith, which atheists themselves so harshly condemn, for an atheist to decide between right and wrong? Now, do you see the the question that's being posed there? The question is, Considering that atheists do not believe in absolute morality, because to believe in absolute morality, you would have to say that there is a God from whom absolute morality flows. Therefore, what right does an atheist have to decide between right and wrong at all if all judgments of right and wrong in the eyes of an atheist are simply matters of faith? Now, that's a good question. That really is at the heart of the moral problem that atheists have. Now, what I want to do is I want to play bits of this video of uh, Richard Dawkins. I want you to listen to how he responds. His response is only about two minutes long. And what I'm going to do is slowly work through segments of this bit by bit and then reveal to you and show you where I really feel and believe his worldview utterly collapses. So listen to Richard Dawkins begin to answer this question posed by this student. An irrational leap of faith, which atheists themselves so harshly condemn, for an atheist to decide between right and wrong. Richard Dawkins takes his glasses off. Absolute morality. The, the, the absolute morality that a religious person might profess would include what? Stoning people for adultery? Death for apostasy? Uh, punishment for breaking the Sabbath? Now, let's pause right there. Notice the first place he goes is he looks back into Old Testament laws from God's revealed word to the people of God under the Old Covenant, and he looks to them, and when he says, if we go with absolute morality, we're going to have to go with these laws that we don't agree with. Therefore, they can't be correct. Now, I want you to understand the philosophical and theological problems with making that statement. All that Richard Dawkins is saying here is that he does not have as high a view or the same view of what is right and wrong as God does. Now, let's talk about adultery. He brings up adultery and what God's punishment in the Old Testament is for adultery. He basically says, I don't agree with God. Now, he is free to say that. In fact, all people outside of the Christian faith are saying, I don't agree with God. We would expect that fallen sinful people would look at God's laws, look at his statutes, his ordinances, the way he's designed the legal code of what is right and wrong and what punishment ought to be, and we would look at that and say, you know what, we don't like that. We don't think that's right. But that doesn't mean it's right. Notice he is standing on a new set of laws that he has made up himself. He's standing on a new framework And he's looking at a different framework that came out of God and saying, I don't agree with those punishments. Now, he's welcome to say that, but what right does he have to say it? Just because he says it's not right does not mean it's not right. He also is standing on a worldview, on a set of principles and ideas of how the world comes to be and what morality ought to be. He's standing on what he believes to be a truth and pointing over at another person and saying, how dare you say that that is morally true? Both are making claims. So he's not in the high position to make the claim that God's laws are wrong in the first place. Because 
As soon as he does that, he's making a law unto himself. He's becoming like God and saying, I know better what is right and wrong and what punishments for right and wrong ought to be. All right, let's keep going. All things which are religiously based absolute moralities. I don't think I want an absolute morality. I think I want a morality that that is thought out, reasoned, argued, discussed, and... Now, you can hear people clapping in that. And that's because he's sitting in a circle of people who think just like him. But I want... Did you hear what he said? I don't want to live in a world with absolute morality. Okay. All right, hold on a second. I want you to think about that statement for just a second. I don't want to live in a world with absolute morality. Let's do a few examples. How about God's law that says do not murder another person? Absolute morality. Now, Richard Dawkins must answer the question. If he's going to make the statement, I don't want to live in a world of absolute morality, he must be able to defend why he does not want to live in a world where it is clear to be able to say, you shall not murder another person. And does he really want to live in a world where you can go around murdering people? Because as soon as Richard Dawkins says, no, you know what? I don't want to live in a world where you can go around murdering people. Then he has contradicted himself. Then what he actually wants is a world of absolute morality. He wants absolute morality. If he says, I don't want to live in a world where pedophilia is legal and permissible because it's wrong. Well, that's absolute morality. So Richard Dawkins saying, I don't want to live in a world of absolute morality is a joke. It's not a real thing. Of course he wants to live in a world of absolute morality. The only difference between Richard Dawkins is he wants to be the determiner of what is absolutely true. He goes on in that little clip that I just played for you. And what he's saying is he says, I want to use what he jokingly refers to as intelligent design. I want to have rational, reasonable conversation and arrive at moral determinations that way. I want to come together as society and arrive at morality. Now, there's a number of problems with this. I want you to understand this. This is so important. First of all, we can't lose what he just did. He just rejected absolute morality, saying, I don't want it. But, but he knows full well he does want absolute morality. He doesn't want to live in a world where you can murder. He does not want to live in a world where you can rape. He does not want to live in a world where it's potentially permissible for pedophilia. And you just go down the list of all these things that he would also say must be absolutely true. So he's wrong. He does not actually believe what he said there. Throughout history, atheists have tried to come up with ways to organize how can community come together and decide on what is morally true if we don't have God. So he's not the first person to make that claim. He's kind of running in a long line of philosophers that have gone before him. Let me highlight a few different approaches that people have used in the past. One of them is called utilitarianism. Now, what is utilitarianism? Utilitarianism basically believes that what is good is that which brings about the greatest end result for the greatest number of people. So you can imagine, you're getting in a room, you're trying to decide, okay, we need, we need moral principles here. We got to figure out how to do this. So if we're going to make a decision, how can we bring about the greatest amount of good for the greatest amount of people? Now that seems like a fairly, you know, if you're just trying to come up with morality off the top of your head, detached from the word of God, that doesn't seem off the top of your head like it's a bad idea. It was developed particularly by two guys, uh, two philosophers, Jeremy Bentham uh, back in about 1750 to about 1800-ish, and John Stuart Mill, 1806 to 1873. 
Now, at the time, what they were proposing was totally radical. It was a radical idea because they were detaching morality and ethics from divine revelation. Now, what could possibly be the problem with determining collectively morality based on what is good by what brings about the greatest end result for the greatest number of people detached from God's word? What could go wrong with that? Well, what about American chattel slavery? Let's take that for an example. American chattel slavery, a minority of people, slaves who were purchased and brutally stolen and tortured, were afflicted with the reality of chattel slavery, which is fundamentally opposed to the word of God, right? So in God's word, man-stealing, stealing a human being and selling them like that is uh, actually you're punishable by death. That's, that's how severe a crime it is in God's word. So if we're making a determination that what is good is going to be determined by what brings about the greatest end result for the greatest number of people, something like chattel slavery is totally permissible. Why? Well, it afflicts the least amount of people. It's only, it's a smaller portion of people that are afflicted, but it brings about great benefit for the larger population, right? Great economic benefit, great lifestyle. Uh, they, they have servants to do what they want. The problem with utilitarianism, and this is tried and true, we know this about the utilitarian mode, model for determining morality, is that it always harms the minority. Whoever is the minority will never be allowed to have their voices truly heard and be able to be a major part of the decision making, and they will always be hurt. It will always benefit the larger group at the expense of minorities. Now, the only way to stop that is if you come into utilitarianism and say, wait, 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 utilitarianism is great, but we have to insert certain absolute morals into it. So, okay, we're going to go with utilitarianism, but let's just make a rule. You cannot steal a human being. But wait a second, wait a second. (laughs) That's to borrow from the Christian worldview, The Christian worldview is the one that gets absolute morality. They're the ones who get to say it is fundamentally wrong at all times, everywhere, under all circumstances, to steal a human being and sell them for money. That's God's word. As an atheist, trying to determine what is right and taking all ideas into consideration, you don't have the frame of reference or the worldview to make such a claim that stealing is wrong. A number of months ago, I was out uh, evangelizing, and I was in the South Loop, and I was going around talking to folks, and I came across this uh, young man, he was at the skate park, probably about 19, 20 years old, and I began talking to him about this exact question, and he was a young African-American man, and I, I, I began to ask him his mode of morality, how as an atheist, because this is how the conversation was going, how he arrived at morality, and he literally quoted this idea of utilitarianism. He, he basically said, I think we can just Pick and choose. I think we need as a society to come together and we can each do whatever is right in our own eyes, which that's not really utilitarianism. That's more like anarchy. But he was kind of bending in that direction a little bit. And I said, look, I don't think you really believe that's true. I think you believe that stealing another human being and selling them, as was true in America's history, is fundamentally wrong. And I looked at him, I said, do you believe that? And he looked right back at me and he said, no, I don't think it was wrong. I said, no. I'm like, there's no way. There's no way you really believe that. I cannot, I cannot believe that. There's no way you believe that's wrong. And he looked right back at me and said, no, I do. Because each person can choose their own morality. This is the problem with the atheist worldview. It does not hold up to the real world that we want to live in. 
All right, let's keep going through this video. Now, Richard Dawkins continues. Based upon, I could almost say, intelligent design. Um, <laughs> can we not design our society which has the sort of morality, the sort of society that, that we want to live in? If you actually look at the, the moralities that are accepted among modern people, among 21st century people, we don't believe in slavery anymore. We believe in equality of women. Um, we believe in, in being gentle. We believe in being kind to animals. These are all things which are entirely recent. They have very little basis in biblical or Quranic scripture. They are, th they are things that have developed over historical time through a consensus of reasoning, sober discussion, argument, legal theory, political and moral philosophy. These do not come from religion to the extent that you can find the good bits in religious scriptures. You have to cherry pick. All right, let's pause there. Now, I want to go back over some of the examples he gave right there. When Richard Dawkins presents, he presents in such a way that it almost sounds true. But if you begin to actually think about what he's saying, it's fundamentally not true. He brought up a number of examples there, and one of the ones he brought up, he said, look, when we come together with our modern 21st century minds, we can come to a society that we want to live in. And then he brings up these ideas of, look at what the progress we made, women's rights. Well, now, now if, you, if you backtrack for just a moment, it's actually the biblical worldview that believes that men and women are both made in the image of God. And worthy of dignity, respect, care, love, concern. It's the biblical worldview that also differentiates between man and woman. Believes that they're made differently. That they're inherently different, made for different functions, and yet equal in the eyes of God and worthy of dignity and respect. Where did the idea that men and women are both made in the image of God come from? That's a biblical idea. Jesus, you got to understand... Jesus had a lot of disciples that were following him, and many of them were women. Not the 12 disciples. In terms of like the larger group of people that were following him, he had women. And that was very surprising for his day. Especially in the New Testament where you see Paul laying out and celebrating all these different women. At the end of the book of Romans, he lists a number of women in his letter. That was unheard of. Christianity... The God of the Bible is the one who originated the idea that men and women are made in the image of God. So, so Richard Dawkins has literally no ground in saying that it was modern 21st century atheistic minds that developed that idea. Absolutely not. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. He says caring for animals. That was a modern 21st century thing. I want to go back to the book of Genesis for just a moment where Adam and Eve were placed over a garden and they were commanded to exercise their authority over creation, over the animal kingdom, and to care for them, not to abuse them. This is not modern 21st... Don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. If you look at history, because of sin, there have been terrible things that have been done to women. Just like there have been terrible things that have been done to animals. Just like there have been terrible things that have been done to the environment. But if you go back to the framework and you look at what is actual God saying, it was God who said men and women were made in the image of God. It was God who commanded Adam and humanity to take care of the environment and to steward the animal kingdom and to not just destroy it for the sake of destruction, but to use it appropriately, but also not to completely waste it. That's very Christian value. How about gentleness? Did you hear him bring up gentleness? <laughs> he says that you got to cherry pick the Bible to come up with gentleness. Okay. 
I want you to understand the backwards nature of Richard Dawkins talking about gentleness. First of all, when we talk about gentleness and meekness, that's biblical. Through and through, that's biblical. That is a value that biblical men and women are always called to carry. Jesus is the exemplar of that. Gentle in spirit, lowly, meek. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek. He constantly talks about giving up your rights in order to serve the weaker brother. To say that that is a 21st century atheistic contribution to the world is laughable. It's laughable. That is a biblical contribution to the world. And notice, not every religion agrees with that. It's Christianity that exemplifies the idea of gentleness through the person of Jesus, who had all the rights in the world but gave them up in order to serve others. And then we are called to do the same. The term gentle, I love reading Paul's letters in the New Testament. For how bold and ferocious Paul was, do you know how often he talks and commands people to be gentle and lowly? Constantly. He talks about his love for those he's writing to, and he often, he would refer to himself as, a, as like a nursing mother caring for his flock. He had this way of just commanding people to be gentle. Now, on the other hand, I do not think Richard Dawkins has an air of gentleness in him. When I think of the words to describe Richard Dawkins, I follow Richard Dawkins on Twitter. 99% of the things he says are cutting, harsh, militant things towards people of religion. That's not gentle. He might be gentle towards those who are in his camp, but he is full of hatred for those who are outside of his camp. Unlike Christianity, which says to give your life for your enemy. You see the difference there? What I'm trying to show you in this entire episode by comparing to Richard Dawkins is that Richard Dawkins does not have the framework or the grounding to make moral assertions. The original question that was asked by that student is 100% right, and Richard Dawkins danced around it when he couldn't answer it. The, the atheist has no actual framework or grounding to make absolute moral assertions, yet they want to live in a world that is full of moral assertions. And the best the atheist can come up with is that we are trying to figure this out as we go. But the reality of the world we live in is that there must be certain moral absolutes. We all live that way. Even if we say we don't, like that one guy I was telling you about in the story I told, even if we say we don't live in a world where there are moral absolutes, we actually do. It's wrong to kill. We know that and we want to live in that world. This is where Richard Dawkins and his atheistic framework just falls apart. Here's, here's my big hope for you. I hope that as you're listening to this, I want you to develop a confidence to speak about your faith in a way that's meaningful and conveys the reality of your biblical grounded truth and your biblically grounded faith. Someone who detaches himself from the word of God has no grounding to make any moral claim. They might think they do. They might say they do. But if you just probe a little bit and ask, why do you think it's wrong to do that? They have no legs underneath them. The best they'll be able to say is, well, because I think so, or because it seems right. But that's not a grounding. It's the Christian worldview that has the grounding they're looking for. So when the atheist says it's wrong to kill, what they're doing is they're borrowing from the Christian worldview and pretending like it's their own. That's the work of apologetics. That's where evangelism gets fun. You help people see the uh, inadequacy of their own worldview and then offer them the hope in Jesus Christ that only Jesus's worldview, only his law, only his way of life is worthy of the life we were created for. 
Now here's what I want you to do with this. I don't just want this to be stuff in your head. I want you to practice this this week. I want you to look for opportunities that God might be opening up in front of you to enter into conversation with people about the moral dilemma. You don't have to be an expert at this to try it. Enter into conversation, see where it goes. God is always opening up doors. And what I have found time and time again is that most people, when you bring up this type of conversation with them, they begin to ask more questions. When you begin to show that their presuppositions are false and that actually the biblical one is stronger than they realized, it opens up questions and awesome opportunities to share the gospel. So take this with you. Try it this week. I hope this episode has served you well. Continue to worship the Lord and stay tuned. We'll touch base next week.